Hey there, thanks for joining our church family at the cross. We pray that this message speaks to your soul and brings you many blessings. We want to take a second and make sure you stay up to date on all things the cross. So be sure to head to our website, thecross.family. Here is where you can subscribe to our newsletter, check out our ministries, and get plugged in. Okay, here is the latest message from The Cross Church. So good morning. So before we get started, we are going to continue uh, in our series here. uh, What is love, right? We've been asking this question, what is love? And we've been doing this guess the lyric, guess the artist game. And so we're going to start out, and I think you win. Is is it Foxtail still? You get a gift card to Foxtail? This one, you're going to get very quickly. So you got to like have your hand over the buzzer. You know what I mean? Like there's a certain age group in here. You're going to hear, I'm going to start these lyrics and you're just going to go, I know what that is. And so I just want you to be ready for it. Are you ready? Yeah, ready. Look, it don't take money. It don't take fame. You don't need a credit card to ride this train. Okay, we got a hand up. Power of love. Power of love. By who, Peter? Huey Lewis in the news. That is right. Woo! Oh, man. For those of you that don't know Huey Lewis in the news, I am sorry. You need to know who they are. They are like an institution. I mean, when MTV first started, Huey Lewis was on it all the time. You need to know what that is. And if you don't, that's okay. So uh, we're going to move from Huey Lewis in the news to Jesus and the good news. And so let's get into our, that was a good transition, right? You like that? Uh, we're going to work right into our scripture that we've been diving through this entire series, 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 6. Let me read it here. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but I do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all of my possessions to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Amen. And love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. And that is where we're going to hang out today. Verse six, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. And so what this means is that love, real love, godly love can only exist on a moral foundation. On a moral foundation, love is based on the truth and it is based on God's truth. And there's a saying that's very popular, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And man, we know that that ain't true. Man, you know, sometimes you've seen someone's dog and you're like, that's not a cute dog. And you feel, and you've judged them. You know, you've done it. You know, you've done And they're like, it's the cutest dog. And you're like, oh my gosh, what happened to that thing, right? And that's okay. You can, you can repent. That's all right. That's what we're here to gather for. So, so yeah, it's pretty subjective when we say that the beauty is in the eye of the beholder. I remember um, years ago, there was this article I read about uh, a modern art museum. And they had taken a big canvas and some paint, and they, they basically just got a, like a chimpanzee, like a monkey, to just go nuts with it, right? And he's just throwing paint and doing a whole thing or whatever. And then they hang this thing in a modern art museum. And then they bring in all these art critics, right? And they're just like, oh, this is the existential shatterings of, you know, I mean, just, just all just waxing philosophic, like the texture and the scratching and the use of color. And, and they're just, and there's one art critic who goes, this looks like it was done by a monkey. Um, <laughs> and he was the, like the only art critic now in that town anyone even cares about, right? He's like the only one. He's like, called it, right? 
Uh, and so, so this can be very subjective. And so while we say like beauty is in the eye of the beholder, it seems that our culture, we are doing the very same thing with morality. We have decided that morality is in the eye of the beholder. And yet as Christians, we have a truth that we stand under which informs our views on morality. I had a philosophy teacher uh, when I went to college. And when I say I went to college, it was my first attempt at college, which was a total bust. I basically went to like philosophy class and music class, and that was it. I should and then failed, and it was terrible. However, I do remember uh, my philosophy teacher, Mr. Sorallo. He was this like five foot, just tiny little man in a suit, like a little Italian guy, like poofy hair, glasses. And, and just that we first day of class, we just walk in, we're like, who is this guy, Right. And, but he had such a profound impact on me, but he was brilliant. I'm, I'm talking, this guy has forgotten more about philosophy than you'll ever know, right? This guy was just absolutely brilliant. I remember the first day of class, we walk in, and on the board, it just says, drive, work, consume. That's it. And he walks in, and we're all, you know, a bunch of young college kids. We're like, what's this? Okay, philosophy, let's see what happens. And he goes, stand up. And everyone's like, no. And he's like, stand up. And we're like, Okay. <laughs> So we stand up and he's like, and he's like, repeat after me, drive, work, consume. I will try it here. Drive, work, consume, drive, work, consume. And he goes, this is the mantra and the philosophy of today. This is what you all believe. You can all sit down and we all went, okay, I guess that's what we believe. We said it out loud. And he's like, look, and, he, and then he goes on to say, look, and I'm telling you right now, all of it is meaningless and you're all gonna be forgotten in the vast ocean of time. And we're like, okay, wow, first day, like first day. And I was like, oh, okay. And then I, but I remember thinking, I was like, well, so I don't need to take this class then, <laughs> right? I mean, um, which is why I failed. But the point was, uh, there's, there's a, why I brought up Mr. Sorallo uh, is that he had a thing that he would say when he spoke specifically around absolute truth. And, and understand that this guy, he could speak, read, and write in English, Latin, Italian, and German. Uh, he was also an accomplished jazz piano, like a guitar player. So he was like a Renaissance man. I mean, this guy was insane. And he, was, and he would talk about absolute truth. And this is what I remember him saying. The only thing I remember from that entire time, and God used it today. Uh, so this is amazing. He says, if what is true for you is true for you, and what is true for me is true for me, then anything can be true, which means nothing is truly true. <laughs> right? And, and, I mean, and that now is the mantra of today, that, that we can't even agree on what is true. And yet we live in a world where we have the opportunity every day to decide for ourselves what is right and wrong every moment of every day. You know, Pastor Mark and I were talking and he was sharing this story with me, this horrific story about a man who abducted a 13-year-old girl and held her prisoner against her will. He then married her, made her his wife. And, and after being caught and arrested, he proclaimed the moral high ground and said that he was a prophet of God and that he had the right to take this girl as his wife. He even went as far to insinuate that she should feel lucky that she was chosen by him. And this evil man decided to create his own standard of morality. Love does not live in our made-up standards of reality, but rather love rejoices in the truth. Morality is not in the eye of the beholder. Rather, morality is in the hands of the creator. 
God is the one who decides what's right and wrong. Sorry. God gets to decide what is right and wrong. God is the one who sets the standard of truth because he is God. Because of what we just sang, he is holy, holy, holy. He is sovereign. He is the creator. He knows. Therefore, love, true godly love can only exist in the context of God's unshakable and everlasting and perfect moral truth. Jesus said it this way in John 14, 6. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And in this one statement, Jesus takes on all of the postmodern ideas, all of them together, and firmly goes, look, cancel me. Just cancel me because I'm declaring that I'm the standard of truth. It's me. I am the standard of truth. God is the standard of truth. And yet still, as Christians, people accuse us as not being full of love, but instead being full of hate and hypocrisy, simply because our Christian standards of morality differ from theirs. And we're seeing a lot of this today. We see a lot of this in our culture. The minute that you root yourself into going, this is my reality, and it doesn't line up with popular morality, you are now labeled as a hater. But I got a newsflash, Christianity will always be countercultural. It will always, it will never be so relevant and cool that everyone wants to be a Christian. This is not how it's going to work. We will always be countercultural in this world. And as Christians, we don't hold to God's standards because we're trying to hate people or give them a bad day. We don't wake up and going, woo, can't wait to tell everybody about this. It's actually really tough to live under this and go, this is the truth that I stand underneath but we hold on to God's truth because we fundamentally believe that the only way to experience real love is to be firmly rooted in God's truth. It's the only way to experience true godly love. We must be rooted in God's truth. So all of this, all of that has led me to this point. We've we've covered all of this absolute truth, morality, all of this is that love is grounded not only in truth, but love is both active and alive. And we have to know this as the church, that it is both active and alive. It doesn't just sit quietly in the corner and watch people perish. That is not what love does. Love takes action. But why? Why does God's love take action? Because God's grace is compelled to counteract the evil and the sin in this world. Look, love does, here's our verse for today. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. Yes, love is active and alive, but here's this. So is evil. You may not like this, but so is evil. Evil has an intent. Evil delights in destroying and breaking the things that God delights in. Sexuality, us, evil delights in destroying what God delights in. 1 Peter 5, 8 says it like this, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. While you were asleep tonight, evil is in the parking lot doing push-ups. Do you understand this? There's a constant power here. And so that is evil. The philosopher Edmund Burke, which I didn't learn in Mr. Serralo's class because I wasn't there long enough to know. I just Googled it. The... Uh, The Irish philosopher Edmund Burke would say it like this. All that is necessary for the triumph of evil is that good men do nothing. It's one thing to be a person that declares that they are are about the truth, but it is another thing to be a person that takes 
action in that truth. Jesus not only declares himself the way and the truth and the life, he also takes action. He takes action. And so while that's 1 Peter 5.8, let's read Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Amen. In this scripture, Paul shows us how God's love takes action. And the first thing we see is that God's love is directed towards those who are against him. Those who hate him, those who do not know him, those who disagree with him. And this is where it becomes very confusing. As a Christian, you're going, this seems really upside down. And it is. Jesus' kingdom, it's an upside down kingdom. (laughs) And it makes perfect sense that we would be directing our love towards those that love us. I say this a lot to people when I'm working. You can learn a lot more from the people that aggravate you and trigger you than you can from the people you get along with. The people you get along with, you get along with. You don't learn a lot. But the people that just drive you nuts, like why do they do that? You can learn a lot about yourself in that. You're going to learn more in those moments. And, and it's, it's a tough message because we are actually called to love our enemies. There's just some times where you're like, is that in there really? Like, come on. That? Come on. Love our enemies. Matthew 5, 43 through 48. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who you love, what reward will you get? (laughs) Jesus said this. Not me. Don't take it it up with Jesus. (laughs) Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore your heavenly father is perfect. God's love takes action in loving those who don't love him. And as followers of Jesus, we are called to do the very same thing. And it is a difficult thing. We are not called to just simply love those that love us back. We are called to love those that are different from us, that are away from us, that are enemies to us. And so in this scripture, Paul describes what love looks like. And it looks like this. It looks like death to self. It looks like sacrifice. It looks uncomfortable. It looks selfless because it is. Jesus does love and he loves and he takes that action in reaching those who are his enemies. And he does it by sacrificing himself. This is what Jesus does. And we are called to do the same thing. Look, I can wrap my mind around like jumping in front of a train or a bullet for my kids all day, right? I go, I can do that. Let's do this. I have a hard time jumping in front of the train for the person who would hurt my kids. And yet that's what we're called to do. It's impossible. Even when I say it out loud, I go, this is just so counterintuitive. And it is. It's always going to be countercultural. And just saying it, it seems laughable. Like there's no way to do it. It's actually impossible. And that's actually the truth. The fact of the matter is it is impossible on your own. It is absolutely impossible to live this way on your own. It's why we need to die to self so that he can live through us. Matthew 19, 26, Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Even this loving the unlovable, loving our enemies. 
with Jesus living in you, this great impossible love that you cannot do now becomes possible. That is the beauty of the gospel. That I can go, I can't do this. There's no way I can do this. And it, and it could just be something simple in the beginning, like a coworker. You're like, oh, this person. Okay. <laughs> Jesus, 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 Jesus. Hey, hey, Fred. What's up, pal? <laughs> oh, God. Yes. Yeah, no, to- yeah. I, no, I'll bring you something to eat. Oh, my God. I, what am I doing? I mean, that's so hard. And that's just a coworker. Right? Can you imagine this? To actually have to do this and, and actually sacrifice in this way? There's a story that I told on a Friday night a while back. And, and it's heartbreaking. And it was a man who uh, had been in recovery for a while, but went back to drinking. And then he uh, actually clipped a five-year-old kid in the neighborhood and killed him when he was drunk driving. And he uh, served the time. And, and, uh, and now, uh, eventually later, he's in the court and he is facing the dad. Now, what was hard about this is that he also had a son, same age. So he, he kills a kid who's the same age because he goes back to his addiction. He goes back to drinking. And so now years have passed. He's done the time. He's in the court. And there's a video that went viral with this. And he's reading this letter, just sobbing to the other father in the room, saying, there's nothing I can do to bring your son back. Every day I think about this. And he's just begging for mercy and forgiveness. And the man gets up and starts walking across the courtroom. And like, everyone's nervous because they're going, is he going to like, is he going to wrestle him to the ground? Like, what's going to happen? Like, what's, and then he goes up and he just hugs him. And the two of them just start crying together. Right now, that feeling you have right now, that's because you know you love this too. It hits us in a deep way when we actually see it, when we see love in action. It hits us in a different place. And so we are people that are called to love sacrificially and to love the people of our world because we are people of love. We should be known by that kind of love, a love of Jesus. And so let me just say, this is a tall order. <laughs> this is a tall order. This is tough. You're like, man, I don't know. I, like, I knew the Huey Lewis lyrics. <laughs> but this, uh, I don't know. Is this the power of love? It is. This can be really, really tough. And so I want to get really practical, like land the plane and some, uh, some things that we can actually do. And I want to give us three selfless acts that we can embody to hate what is evil and rejoice in what is true. We can sacrificially give our time. We can sacrificially give mercy and we can sacrificially serve others. So let me start with the first one here. We engage in godly love when we sacrificially give of our time. Woody Allen once famously said, showing up, just showing up is half the battle. Just put your body in the right place. Look, if bad things happen when good people do nothing, maybe the same can be said that bad things happen in places where there are no good people. I know that in early recovery, just simply showing up in the beginning, that's it. Just get your body in the room. Just get a sponsor. Just make the phone call. Just keep coming back. Just stay in the meeting. Don't leave the meeting. Keep coming back to the meeting. And in the beginning, it feels like pushing water uphill because that's what you're doing. You're doing something completely against your bent sinful desires. And you're going, I'm going to just do this. I'm going to just sit in the room. I'm going to just put my body in the right place. That's why we say, like, don't leave before the miracle happens. You might hear some experienced strength and hope in the room that you would have never, ever thought. If you're in there just looking left and right and judging and going, these people, you'll be back. (laughs) You'll be back. Hopefully, 
Hopefully you'll be back. This is incredibly powerful, just putting our body in the right place. I'm a social worker, and one of the key values of social work is just to meet people where they are. And one of the things that makes the gospel just so significant is the fact that in taking action, Jesus meets us where we are. I would argue that Jesus is the greatest social worker who ever lived. (laughs) Created the greatest social change of all time. Met everybody where they were at. Like, everybody. Like, talk about picking up the check for the whole table, right? That's Jesus. He, he doesn't just simply give advice from afar, but he understands pain and anguish. And Jesus spent time with those who needed him. And I know this is something we're really, really protective of, our time, right? to give somebody our time. And that's why if we volunteer or we serve, that's why it's such a beautiful thing. You're giving of yourself. You're giving your time. And we are bound to time, right? God is eternal. He is outside of time. We are temporal beings. We exist within the boundaries of time. And yet, for being such time-bound individuals, man, we waste a lot of time. We waste just a ton of time. Like, okay, if we could just get real and just, like, for real could see the graph, not like what you think the graph would look like, but for real, see the graph. And it was like, here's the graph in the column of how you have sacrificially served. And here's how long you've been on Facebook. And some of you are like, oh. And then some of you are like, not on Facebook. Okay, TikTok, Instagram, Snapchat, whatever, just social media, MySpace. And some of you are like, what? No, it's all right. It's not a thing. Not a thing. It's not a, just don't send me those LinkedIn emails. My gosh. No one's responding to those, by the way. They just get annoyed and they're judging you. I'm just a side note. It's for free. How many of us though, if we could just see those columns side by side, what would they actually look like? So here, let me just help you. The average U.S. adult spends 40 minutes a day on Facebook. Now, it seems like that's it, but that's just Facebook. That's not including like email or other social media platforms for 40 minutes a day. So that's 14,600 minutes. That is 243 hours. That is 10 full days in a year. And, and if we take away when you're sleeping, it would be more like 15 full days, 15 full days a year on Facebook. Think of it. Doing what? Nothing that you will remember than judging people's ugly dogs. That's all you're doing. There's nothing helpful going on here. So here's the question. Have you given 15 days this year to serve sacrificially to others? Uh Uh-oh. I haven't. 10 days? One day? You know, Benjamin Franklin said that time is money. Jesus says time is love. Giving your time, time is love. The second way we engage in love is this. We engage in godly love when we sacrificially give mercy. Now, spoiler alert, if you're going to show up in people's lives and you're going to sacrificially give your time and show them mercy, you're going to be severely hurt and disappointed. I just want to let you know right out the gate, right? So if you go into this thing being like, I'm going to serve and you're just super excited and you're going in full and then you get smacked in the face with a bat emotionally, I told you it was coming. This is what's happening. And now that I've completely sold you on it, but this is, the, this is Christianity. Welcome. It's a sacrificial deal. It's, it, it is hard. And so, so the temptation is for us to believe that if I serve people sacrificially, I'm going to be given back all this, like, oh my God, thank you so much for helping me out. You may not get the thank you. You may not get the attaboy. You may not get any of that. In fact, the, the truth is on the other side of this. And we know this because Jesus left heaven to come and reach us here on earth. And our response to him was to kill him. We crucified him. 
You know, we said last week that hurt people will hurt people. And now being a therapist that works with individuals with mental health and addiction issues, I have my share of hurt people that I work with. And this year specifically, there was one patient I had who had come in and he was at the end stages of his addiction. I can just tell, and he's in his 20s. Now realize years ago, if you had been at the end stages of your addiction, you'd maybe been to treatment maybe once, maybe twice. Now it's very common, five, six, seven times you've been to treatment. It's that bad out there right now. And so he's in his 20s at the end of his rope. And I did everything I could. I threw everything I knew at him. I'm praying for him. Uh, everything I knew to do to this guy. And then he would, he would leave treatment. And, and he wouldn't just leave treatment. He'd leave with somebody, right? And they would go use and they'd go on a run. And it was a nightmare. And so hurt people hurt people. So they're still hurting more people. And then he would come back and, he'd, and, 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 and we'd do this, this dance. Sometimes the most merciful thing you can do is go, we're not taking you back. And that's a hard, that's a really, really hard thing to do. In fact, I did a wedding this year and this patient had left treatment again. And then I had to leave the reception to go call the mom to let her know and break her heart that he had left treatment again. Because every time he left treatment, she's like, he's going to die. This is it. This is it. And so I threw everything at him. And then the last time he came back, he was begging to come back, like begging for mercy. And my clinical director asked me, like, do you want to work with this guy again? And I said, well, yeah, because as long as he's here, we have a chance to do something. And he came back and it was so obvious that he was, he was gone. Like he was checked out. And I said, your only hope right now is to go someplace that is like long term. And so if you're thinking of buying purses for this hand, hand in hand is that place. And so I was like, you need to go to this place. And I was like, this is your only chance is your last chance. And he gave me a hug and he said, thanks for not giving up on me. And God, I wish I could tell you that he went on to be sober and he was amazing. And I'm telling you right now that if he had gotten sober, there'd be a generation of people behind him that would get sober because he was so emotionally intelligent and he was just awesome. I'll tell you that like a part of his story was that just men never showed up in his life and it destroyed him. And he went to hand in hand and didn't even finish the intake paperwork left. And he was dead two weeks later. And that is the hardest thing I've had to do with working up front and close with it. Showing mercy doesn't always end the way that you think it's going to end. It doesn't always end, but we're just called to do it. We're just called to love. We're called into that mercy. But yeah, hurt people will hurt people. It's so hard, but this is what we're called into. And we can see it in scripture just how hard this is. Luke 23, 34. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. So can we give our time? We're called to show mercy, whether, whether it works out or it doesn't work out the way that we plan. And so lastly, this morning, we engage in godly love when we are sacrificially serving others giving our time, giving our mercy, and then sacrificially serving others. And I'm just going to make this point by just simply quoting Jesus. I don't have to say much more than what he said. Jesus says the following to his disciples, Matthew 25, 35 through 40. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. And I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. And I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. And I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When, when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or, or needing clothes and clothe you? 
When did we see you sick or in, or in prison and go and visit you? And the king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. There is not a man or woman on this planet that you have locked eyes with that Jesus doesn't love, that isn't a child of God. And so when we are just eviscerating each other, whether it's online or anywhere, we're just going, oh, this hatred that exists. Realize that Christianity calls us to love the people we hate, to love the enemy. It is not easy to sacrificially give our time and our mercy and serve those people. So brothers and sisters, we're called to be people of love. We are called into this. It's not passive, it is active. God's love is active in deeds of his service. And while this message is applicable to all of us, to all believers, this message was written with a specific group in mind. And there's a group that I want to challenge and give to give some of their time and some of their mercy and some of their service. I'm going to lean on Pastor Matt Chandler to help me with this one. Here's the quote. There are a lot of false pictures of what being a man is all about. What we're not talking about is a false bravado, overly masculine type of man that when all is said and done is too manly to love, too manly to serve, too manly to care, or too manly to lower himself in humility. But what we're talking about is a man that is willing to be wrung out for the good of his family, his wife, and his God. I'll go full Matt Chandler. Are you tracking? I'll just go, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna break stuff. I got excited. You're gonna run out. Are you hearing me? Are you are you tracking? Sorry, Matt. That's I'm a big fan. Um, <laughs> men, I am talking to us. I'm talking to me. I'm talking to all the men here, guys. I got to be honest. There is a lot of ministries that we have here through preaching, teaching, and healing. And I will tell you that the common denominator here is that we don't have a lot of men in those positions. We don't. Even our, our Stephen ministry. It's named after Stephen. We should call it Stephanie ministry. <laughs> we need more men in this, right? So when, when, when Stephen was the first martyr of the church and he was the first one to help and do some of these things and feeding the widows and the poor and meeting, we need men to step up. I did a message in December about Joseph and I was like, come on, men. And we were like, four people. <laughs> and I get it. It was weird because we were like in three high schools and a trailer. So I get it. It was a weird time. We've got us, got us pulled us from all of that. But this is the reality is that men are called to step up and be men. That's what we are actually called to do. So like, listen to me very carefully. The world right now, men, is on fire. The world is on fire and we need more men who love like Jesus to step up and be the men that God has called them to be. That is what we are called to do. Amen. Yeah, you can clap. The women are clapping. Do you see what I'm saying? Like... It's all right. It's all right. <laughs> all that is necessary for the triumph of evil is that good men do nothing. It's because of this very reason we are kicking off a brand new men's ministry this season. And the goal is to give men the opportunity to step into the space to a dying world that so desperately needs it. Amen. That is what we are going to do. Look, we are called to set the spiritual climate of our households, of our community, of our church, 
And just like the decision to not make a decision is still a decision, if you don't set that spiritual climate with the power of God's love, you're setting it towards evil. I, it is, that's what's happening. We have to set that spiritual climate. And I know it's hard, but we can't do it alone. But we're not alone. That God is in this with us. And so, man, what we're going to do after this service is you're going to walk out, you're going to hang a right. I, I know you won't ask for direction. I'm giving them to you now. <laughs> you're going to hang a right, and you're going to go down to the chapel, and we're going to have an interest meeting after each service around our new men's ministry. And if women, if you see a man like lost in the foyer, you just push him like a good woman. Just go over here, over here. Come on. Get in the chapel. What's that? That's what we need. We need men to step up and do this. And I'll just tell you right now, it don't take money. It don't take fame. You don't need a credit card to ride this train. Thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah, so good. I, I wanted to end right there and just pray. I was like, man, I landed it. And, and Mark on his deathbed with the man flu is like, <laughs> um, Chris, uh, so he fully believes that men will not be inspired. <sighs> this is ridiculous. Without a quote from William Wallace. Um, and so we're going to try it. I don't have the blue paint. I fight and you might die. Run and you'll live at least a while. It's like I need to be on the horse. <laughs> and dying in your beds many years from now, would you be willing to trade all those days from that day to this for one chance, just one chance to come back here and tell your enemies that they may take your lives, but they will never take our freedom. Yeah. 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 You're welcome. Oh, wow. Standing ovation. Amazing. Standing ovation for William Wallace. Tepid applause for the men's ministry. Guys, we can do better. We can do better. Oh, uh, let, let me pray for us. We need it. And let's see, men, if we can rise to the occasion. Father God, Lord, you have called us into an impossible space, and it is impossible without your Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, I pray right now that you would put on our hearts, every man in this space, what you have called us into. Lord, I wanna give praise for the men in this congregation and throughout the city that are giving their time, giving their mercy and stepping into those spaces. You know, we love this idea of running across a field into battle. Sometimes the battle is just saying, hey honey, how are you doing today? And we won't do that battle, we won't step into that space. We're called to be more than that. We want this dramatic, dramatic battle. And God, you're calling us into a space saying, just give me your time. Give me your mercy. Give service to those that need service. Be like me in this space. So God, we can't do it without you. We, we pray for your Holy Spirit. We pray for this men's ministry that will, that will go out and just do incredible things in your name. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to serve you. Thank you for calling us into that space that we can be the men that you have called us to be. We love you. 
And we pray all these things in Jesus' name, and we place all of our hope, and together we say, amen. Again, your instructions, men, because I know you've already forgotten, is to walk out here and hang a right. And for everyone else, hear these words of benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, go in God's peace. We'll see you next Sunday.